All right, what's going on? Welcome to Off the Bench. Danny Cannell, Rajah Bell, just hanging out before Word. the show, having a little discussion. Our producer, Matt Coca, yep. worried about some, I don't know, FCC regulations. What? Or, I don't we know. Have, what we saying? have those? Oh, we would never do anything. Oh, we were in our own little lane here where we could do whatever we wanted. <laughs> exactly, okay. exactly. We are. We're no. just a little internet show as, right. uh, as the guy that called you out yesterday. Correct. <laughs> coming because we like getting feedback from the people even if sometimes it's not the nicest feedback yeah we appreciate that you're watching that you're listening so bring it i can't call somebody a pump like exactly i I, I can't call somebody a pump fair well are you going all in are you saying he's punk? no i listen it's a punk move it was punkish field yeah and i never said i wasn't a punk i played like a punk sometimes right so i can dude tweeted in screen grabbed a photo of you with your picture there behind you, clothesline and I support Oprah. that 100. Exactly. <laughs> here's Rajah Bell calling out Baker Mayfield for being yeah. punk. With difference. The picture behind difference him. being though, yeah. Like, and I really feel it's fundamental. Like, if you're into it with a competitor, that's one thing. Yeah. When you're calling out your ex head coach because he got fired and took another job, yeah. that's when it becomes a punkish thing for me. Well, there's more to that story. We'll yeah. get to that later because Baker's out there still on social media calling dudes out left and right. We'll break that down. We got to hit last night's game. We'll yeah. That. And then we'll do some NBA too. All that coming up on Off the Bench. Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw. First and 10. Leaps his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell All the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. But it's finding a way that at the end of the game to have more points, and um, it's it's been a lot of fun, and it's 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 great to be a part of a group like this um, because we've been just finding a way. And it's like I said, it comes from different areas and different people, and, um, different ways, but we're always finding a way. My man JJ Watt, former defensive MVP in the NFL, he's perfect. Yeah, did you perfect. know that? He's perfect. He's perfect. In, he's out there playing catch with the kids before the game. Yeah, yeah. He's wearing the Dylan High School from Friday Night Lights. Like he's he's got the cowboy hat most of the time, rocking. Right. He gives away like millions and millions yeah, of dollars. Yeah, that was the storm. What, what storm was that? What storm was, was that? Was it Sandy? That was a Harvey. Her, Harvey. Harvey. Right. And he was raised like yeah, that was awesome. Millions though. and millions of dollars. It yeah. was. He is perfect. He is. He is perfect. It's not perfect. No, he's actually. He, he, but. He portrays it perfect. Correct. He has, he's created himself an unbelievable image. So I don't want to knock him. Although sometimes I do. Well, it's okay. We don't want to get because I've done it before. He's a great dude. He does great things for the community, and we should treat him as such. And he's, he's playing an American hero. He's playing great football out. again. Like yes. all jokes aside, like it's a really. I mean, coming back off of injury, and he's sure. really come come back at a high level. Yeah, I was worried about. I think we even talked about this in the offseason. Coming off a of back surgery, yeah. like man, a back surgery. You know, that's always a little bit dicey. It's different than a hand or an ankle. It's sure. your back. It affects everything you do. He's come back. I don't. He's not quite to his MVP type form, but he's still a dominant force on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball. And you mentioned Texans get a really nice. Home win against the Titan teams. That's pretty good. They go eight straight. Started 0-3, eight wins in a row. I like what they're doing. I think winning is contagious. You start getting that feeling in a locker room. There's nothing better. No. Like you start, it's fun to go to practice. You might get there a little bit earlier than you would. Sure. Everybody's telling you. Work is easier. Yeah, you like you... Dealing with the media is easier. It's all like fun. It yeah. becomes fun. It's like you were in high school. You're playing a sport. It becomes fun. But, but believe before you go on, yeah. like, cause there's, a, there's a whole faction of like, like, you know, people, Specifically in the on the media side, and people who haven't played who don't believe like in momentum and 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 the oh, feeling of winning. They don't know what uh, they're talking about. Do, do you know like like just confidence in general? Let's not even talk about the, the, how much easier it becomes for you to prepare and do your work and the hours that you want to spend in the building versus when you're losing, you just want to go home. But just the general belief in in the fact that you can win that gets shaken when you don't win for four or five games in a row. You start to question whether or not you can do it. And when you're winning, it's just the opposite. Like you really don't believe that you should lose. It's a very real thing. 
Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's the same thing. If you get good feedback, it's more fun. Like while we were joking at the top of the show saying, hey, people are tweeting at us. Yeah. Some of it's negative. It feels good to know people are listening. Yeah, sure. People are watching. And we appreciate that. Keep sending your tweets our way <laughs> at Canel and Bell. Or to me, Raja is smart enough to not be on Twitter. But like it, it makes things f- more fun. When you're getting questioned every single day, like if you're the Raiders and you're going, are you tanking? If you're the Giants, what are you guys doing? What mistakes are you making? It wears on you. It grates on you. Yeah. It gets old. And so when you're winning, it's fun to answer those questions. You start getting more um exposure in the local community. Hey, you guys want to come out for an autograph signing? We'll throw a few extra bucks your way. Right. Like all of it just starts to snowball. Meals so, become free. Oh yeah. Um, the reservation. Wait, wait, you don't waiting. Have to wait at all. Yeah, it's, it's, all of listen, it. Listen, th- there's nothing better. I had this conversation the other day when someone asked me about like in the NBA that I miss it. And I don't really miss it overall, but I miss some of the locker that room type of stuff. I miss the locker room stuff. But yep. what I did say was like when we were winning, like in Phoenix especially um, the way the city treats you, like the way people go out of their way to kind of, you know, have you in their places and stuff like that. Like I miss that. Oh, the I, perks, I, bro, I miss the that. Perks are off the charts. Yeah. When I was on the Giants, everywhere you went, because the, the Giants fans are like they're nuts. They're right. awesome. They're great. They recognize you. They'll sure. Say, anywhere you're, to, we used to have a couple hookups, restaurants. They'd be like a Houston's restaurant uh-huh. chain. It was awesome yeah. food. Always await. We'd go in. The guy be like, "Hey, what's up, guys? Come on, this fall, let's do it. Got your table ready for us. Ready to go." And then, like, would people be kind of be mad, and they'd be like, "Oh, they're giants. They're giants. Like, You're good." <laughs> go to Atlanta. They had the same Houston's rest, like, restaurant. Yeah, chain. set up. Go there. No setup. No. I was like, I was trying to be like, "Hey, you know, you know, we play on the Falcons. You no, know, like, oh, New yeah, York, right? About two hours. Come back. You know, we'll give you one of those pagers. Come back when we right. call you." So definitely, the perks are there. So all right, things are good in Houston. The question I think now becomes, how good are they? And what type of damage can they do? They're in the top of their division. They're they're one of the, the best records in the league now. I mean, yeah. Start looking at them. They have the same record as the Patriots, I believe. Right? And they're um, eight yep. and three. The Patriots are eight and three. But when I look at them, I don't think they're as good as the Patriots. I don't think they're as good as the Steelers. I definitely don't think they're as good as the Chiefs. And I would probably even take the Chargers, who have the same record, because I trust them more. There's just something about this team because they've been bounced in the playoffs. Right. Because they've been historically bad. I still need to see them get over that hump, and I don't know if they can contend, specifically with Kansas City and Pittsburgh. New England, I'm starting to doubt a little bit, but I still would go with New England over them. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for like the familiarity of the teams that have done it, right? And and you're not being sure that you could trust them. But my eyeballs, like when I look at them, um, they're 14th in the league points per game, 19th in pass yards, and they're 4th in rush yards. And then their defense is stout, so they run the ball and they can defend. And we talked about it. It's not the model that like wins now, like at that high level in the NFL. So, but when I look at those teams on the list, if I, if I take out of, uh, if I factor out their past performances, I, I think that they are in the class with the New England Patriots. Um, I think to some degree the Steelers, although I had the Steelers pegged a little bit above them, I think they're right there with San Diego. And I think Kansas City's in a class by themselves in the AFC just because they can score the heck out of the ball. But like football is one of those different games. You catch somebody when their offense isn't clicking on that one day and you've got something cooking, like it's a win or go home, not like the NBA where you get a sample size. So the answer to your question is I do believe them to be behind Kansas City, but I think that they could, on in a one-game scenario, beat Kansas City. You want the good news or the bad news? Give me both. I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news in this eight-game winning streak, 
the teams they've been beating, yeah. very pedestrian. They beat the Colts, Cowboys are average, Bills, bad, Jaguars, bad, so Dolphins, they, bad, Broncos, not bad, Redskins, bad, Titans, dude, okay. the rest of their schedule is bad. That's the good news. So that, okay. that's what I was going to get to. So like, their whole schedule is just bad kind of, the whole year? Well, that's, the, that's what's great about the NFL. Like, you can catch it this way. If, you know, if you it's catch fantastic. It right? If you're coming off a rough season, they try to give you an easier just schedule. Just a bad schedule, yeah. Which is great. And like, you got some and, teams that didn't live up to the hype. But it goes to, if you get that confidence, if you start the belief, you can carry that momentum, and then when you play a good team you have a belief that hey we've been winning we can beat that team sure. so i think it'll be interesting to see how they finish out this season i think deshaun watson is a star in the making love seeing him bounce back off the acl and playing a high level so i think it'll be fun to watch i think we'll see how they go you know who's not much fun to watch mm. jacksonville jaguars a mess. That's a dumpster they fire. are so we've talked a little bit about here uh on the cowboys like the cowboys philosophy offensively and yeah. how i don't think it works and they're actually winning the Jaguars have the same exact philosophy, and it doesn't work in today's game. And I'm actually kind of mad myself, mad at myself, because I believed their defense was good enough last year, which it was. They were one point, uh, one half away from beating the Patriots, uh, yeah. and potentially going to the Super Bowl. They were 14, and then they kneeled on it, whatever. That's a whole other conversation. But I think that showed how they felt in Blake Bortles in that AFC Championship game. So, I don't think their philosophy works. Here's the. The difference for me between them and 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 Dallas is I believe. Oh, uh, well, they have a quarterback. I believe Dak's better than, than better. Blake, and you you have a pass. You have a back that's multidimensional. Yes. right. Zeke it can pass catch. Like they're the the backs today are kind of hybrid backs. No, they're not just like straight downhill runners. Like all of these guys, the Saquons, the Christian McCaffreys, the the Zeeks, the you know all these guys are they're pass catchers and they can run the ball right. They, yeah. So and and well, Leonard Fournette doesn't really do that, and he's injured all the time. That's the bigger issue. Right. And I think they sh- and this is one where it's really hard to tell. And this is part of the hardest draft process is the intangibles, which I would put in injuries in there yeah. because Leonard Fournette missed a lot of time at LSU. When he's at LSU, you're thinking, all right, maybe he wants to protect himself in the NFL. You want to make sure he gets drafted high, which he did. Right. So I have no problem with that. But you don't know if that mindset starts creeping in. I think Leonard Fournette is the type of guy that's a hundred percent guy that only plays if I'm a hundred percent. If I'm eighty percent, that's not. Then that's a problem, especially yeah, if you're running back and like you're the not. focal point of your offense. Correct. So he's missed a lot of time. They trade for Carlos Hyde, so they had to give up. I think it was a fourth round draft pick to get Carlos Hyde on the team to try to get some depth at the position. Now, when he's hurt. He's out getting in a fight on the sideline, so now he's suspended by the NFL for a game, which all of it is just a total fiasco. So what do the what do the Jags do? They go out, they fire Nate Hackett, their uh-huh. offensive coordinator, which I think I think he's hamstrung because he doesn't have much because he doesn't have four nap. He just couldn't hack it. Bro. Very good. <laughs> I see. What yeah, you, you like that? Right. That was good. Right. <laughs> um, so then, like literally within a couple hours, yeah. Hackett said afterwards, he said, "I got the phone call and I thought that." I was getting called about a quarterback change, like we were going to make a quarterback change. <laughs> Instead, he gets axed. axed. Then, two hours yeah, later, like they that. make the quarterback <laughs> change. Yeah, I did it again. Then, a couple hours later, they actually do make the quarterback change, go with Cody Kessler, you, they Blake, uh, bench Blake Bortles. You would think it would be one or the other, though, right? I don't know. They're just like, they're just getting all of it out of there. But I think the problem stems at the top. I think it's Tom Coughlin who has this antiquated idea of what power football looks like and we can have a back in this good defense and right. it flows through Doug Marone and I think this is what happens in the NFL somebody's got to take the fall when you're imploding the way they are and things are falling apart the way they are and don't forget they traded away Dante Fowler Jr. so clearly there was something wrong you know and that's with him who I thought was one of their better players in the defense side of the ball they uh, traded him to the Rams look the same way we just talked about winning being an infectious thing oh. and lightning losing is really really tough and 
if there are any bad apples in a locker room or if there are any little festering things that get covered up by winning, well, when you start losing, those things come right to the surface, right? And I, you see a general funk with the Jags. Like, we could talk about, you know, obviously Blake Bortles. They, they, they made a mistake by not moving on from that. You know what I mean? Like, you have to upgrade that. Even if you're a good team, if you can upgrade your position, like quarterback, you got to upgrade. They didn't do that. We could talk about them, you know, being stuck in old school football and all of that. But, you know, generally speaking, there's just this level of, like, cloud of dust, like pig pen. Like, is that yes. his name? Like, yes. it's like that. There are organizations like that. And they, you need to, you need to flush it out. Like, right. you do. At this point, you need to flush it. And that means, that means not just your quarterback or your, it means, a whole flush. You have to flush all that bad blood out uh, from the top. And we have Pete Prisco talking about some of the deals that those that those uh, coaches have got the two years. Yeah, them having to spend a lot of money on coaches that weren't working. Yep. Look, sometimes you got to bite the bullet as an owner and do that. Like if you're saying to your team, "I'm trying to give you the best chance to win," I got you in this situation. Let me get you out of it. Like I can't have this rolling over into another year. You know. When I was a sophomore, I got my first start at Florida State. At University of Maryland. Yeah. Do you know who the quarterback was at University of Maryland? University no of Maryland. <laughs> you have no idea. No. Scott Milanovic, what? who has now been named the offensive coordinator for the Jacksonville for the Jack. Jack. Okay. Yeah. So he will be calling plays. Yeah. Cody Kessler's getting the start. I don't think you're going to see much of a difference. I just don't. I, I think that team is, is, is pretty toxic right now, which is kind of crazy. Jalen Ramsey was out there, became one of the faces of the NFL with all the talking he Dude, was doing. And man, did he how, like speaking of talking, like he's talking about everybody but his own team. How long before he starts running that mouth about his own team? Seriously, real wonder, talk. No, yeah, he's he's a pretty vocal guy. You wonder if he does start doing that. He's pretty active on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, there was a rumor a couple weeks ago that he was going to be traded, and he tweeted about that. He's like, I ain't going nowhere. And then he tweets some random stuff, like at times where he's like, y'all trying to read into my tweets too much. I, I don't. I think you're honest. Again, they need to clean. They need to clean it up. Yeah. So they got they got a bunch of issues. You know who has issues that I thought might have been put behind us is. Uh, one Greg Popovich so and rare. Kawhi Leonard so because rare. you thought it was done. Yeah. They moved him to Toronto. Let's just put everything behind us. Well, they've come out. They've spoken. Uh, before San Antonio's game against the Bucks, Pop was asked about Patty Mills' role as a leader without Manu and Tony Parker around and Kawhi. So he could have could have just raved about Patty Mills. Could have gone on about that. Said, <laughs> hey, that's great. Right. Pop said Kawhi was a great player, but he wasn't a leader. Uh. Manu and Patty were the leaders. Kawhi's talent will always be missed, but leadership wasn't his deal at the time. That may come as it progresses. Patty and Manu filled that role for us last year. Marcus Aldridge came a long way as a leader also. So Kawhi, of course, is going to get asked about this. He gets asked and he says, Kawhi says, it's funny to me because I don't know if he's talking about last year or not, but I guess when you stop playing, they forget how you lead. Other than that, it doesn't matter. I'm here with the Raptors and I'm focused on this season and what's going on at the time. Then he was asked, follow up, what kind of leader would you say you are? I lead by example. I come into practice every day and go hard. Come to these games, stay focused. You can't see things once you're playing on the floor. Guys ask me questions about their matchup or I see something I'm telling guys, go here, go there. Just motivating people. You know what I mean? Just trying to lift people's spirits up off the floor. Um, not everyone leads the same way. So let's say that first. Uh, Kawhi was brought up with Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and Tim Duncan. They're all clear leaders, clear all leaders, three of right? them. Um, and I want to say, was there like a one year gap? Cause Timmy just retired two years ago, right? And so there was a year with Kawhi, you know, in a, in a supposed leadership role. Um, but you still have Manu, right? And he's not the most vocal guy, that being Kawhi. And then last year, it's really hard to lead when you're not there, 
like when you're not playing, right? Every coach is like when they get an older guy in the locker room, they're like, we want you to be a leader, like this and that. But if you're not playing that guy and he's not on the court, there's only so much you can do in terms of being a leader. So last year you have to give Kawhi a pass. He wasn't with the team. So let takes us to that one year when he played. I do believe that Kawhi led that year. He led by what he did on the court. You can see his game transform year to year. That means he's working on that game. That means he's putting hours in the gym. And that is a style of leadership, right? By, by, by doing it on the court. Um, I think Greg Popovich, if I'm reading between the lines, and I love Pop. I really love Pop. Like Pop gave me an opportunity way back in the day and I always talk to him when we play and, and, um, I like his style, but they haven't had someone like Kawhi in their organization. Like they haven't had a guy who bucked it didn't want to be there, um, turned his back on the organization. And so I think some of that is just a little like jab, a little something that you say because your feelings are hurt if you're pop about Kawhi. Because I think clearly Kawhi is a leader in his own way. Now he yeah. might not have been the same leader as Tim Duncan or or Manu or Tony Park or Spurs, 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 Spurs. He was about Kawhi. Right. But that doesn't mean he didn't lead on the court. And I think Pop deep down would probably tell you that. But it'll probably hurt about the way it played out there in, in San Antonio. For sure. I've never met Kawhi Leonard. Only thing I can go off is what I see of him with his lack of interaction with the media. Yeah. I think he's probably a little bit more introverted. Yeah. And I'd rather see a guy be who he is, right? And go out there and do it, you know, as long as he's working hard, as long as he's out there, than try to be some somebody's not and like faking leadership and being a rah rah guy and hey, I'm gonna take control when it's not who he is. Because right. That'll guys in the locker room will they read see right through that. that. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, what's he doing? Like this isn't who he is. So I think you're you I think Pop might have been asking Kawhi to do something that wasn't It's him. just not his style. And that's right? why I think it didn't work. Like, cause I'm sure there was a tug and pull back and forth when they were on the same place. And that's probably why Kawhi wanted a new change of atmosphere. And that's probably why Kawhi didn't communicate really well with some of his teammates when they all stood up for him and said, hey, come play with us. Like, it's just, it was a bad fit. Now, can we just leave it all at that? Correct. A lot of times, and fit is really important there because a lot of times your, your, your leader is a culture driver, right? He's the guy, you know, the guys want to be around in the locker room. He's the guy that guys are out to dinner with. He's the guy, like, I don't know how to explain it other than he drives culture. Teams kind of like, you know, flow with the way he flows. And, you know, being an introvert, sometimes it's hard to affect culture. Yes. So, you know, Kawhi's point is like, I do it on the court. Like when I go out there, like I might not be a guy who's going out to dinner with everybody. You know, I might not be rallying the troops and, and having people over for barbecues and stuff like that. But on the court, you know what I'm going to give for this team and you know how much work I put in when it's time to go to practice. But, you know, sometimes the leader leader is the guy that drives the culture. The yeah. guys want to follow. And, you know, if Kawhi wasn't that guy in San Antonio for one reason or another, then it was just a bad fit. Right. This could have all, but. Could have been all it was. Right. Uh, there might be a bad fit in Philadelphia. There's more Markel Fultz news. I want to get your thoughts on that. We'll yeah. do that next coming up on Off the Bench. All right. NBA is in full swing right now. We've seen a little bit of drama uh. in Golden State uh, this year. And last night there was a little bit of drama in the game against Orlando, too, because they were down 18. And then Kevin Durant goes off. 49 points, 16-33 from the field. How do you, how do you mess down, that switch up? Yeah, you can, oh, you didn't like that, huh? No, I mean, if you're going to err on the side of covering anybody, cover Kevin Durant. Right? right. Don't leave right. him open. Right. You're the best player right yeah. now on that court. Uh, so without Steph Curry, they are now 5-5. Five and five. There's Clay doing his thing. Another they one. come all the way back. There's Steph watching on the sideline, putting up the threes. Switch all of that. Uh, Durant, the last two games, we had 49 last night. There's a three from the top. Uh. Feeling it. Uh, 44 on Saturday versus the Kings. He's been picking up the slack. Do you think, like, is Steph the one that makes this team go? Yeah, Steph. Do you, think, do you think it could be KD? I think it would be, it could be KD, but they'd have to, like, re, like, vamp everything 
that they've done for the last four or five years. It would require a complete overhaul of personality, of style. Like, it's unrealistic to think that KD is going to be the engine that drives this version of Golden State. That is Steph Curry. But, I, yeah, KD could drive your team. Like, you see them starting to kind of shift to, like, ball being in KD's hands. KD, see, KD's a volume scorer in in the world without Steph, right? Like, he's got to get up a whole lot of shots. So it, it changes the way they have to play. And it was always going to take them a minute without Steph to figure out the recipe for that team to win with Clay and um, and KD. But they are clearly better with Steph in there and KD shooting less. Uh, so Durant took 33 shots. That's one shot of his career high. Right. So I'm good for I keep feeding him, too. If no, I mean, yeah, without K, without Steph, the guy, and, and Draymond. See, Steph and Draymond are the guys that, like, that make offense happen. They're the starters of the offense, right? Um, Clay and KD are the finishers. Steph is also a finisher, but he's, he's usually an igniter of offense. And those two are the ones that finish because they shoot it, you know? And so you're without both of your offensive starters. So in that world, like KD and Clay, get up as many shots as you can get up. So because the Warriors aren't as dominant they've been in the last few years, they're in second place in the West. Right. You have a bunch of teams bunched together. The That's top crazy. seven teams in the West are separated by just two and a half games. Right. The top 14 teams are all in the playoff mix. The odds to win, no surprise, is the Warriors. Coming in second, the Rockets, 5-1 to one odds to win the West. Yep. Under 10-1 to one odds. Lakers, 14-1 to one odds. Jazz, 16-1 to one odds. And the Pelicans are 30-1 to one odds to win the West. Who would you put money on right there? Obviously, if, you're, I, if you were looking for value, because yeah. no one, I think everyone would say, yeah, the Warriors. But if you were looking for a team that might surprise, um, go with. Look, if I was looking for a team that might surprise to win it, um, to come out of the Western Conference, maybe the Pelicans. And I that, like, let's not do the Pelicans. That's easy at thirty to one, right? But I say that because you got Anthony Davis, you got Drew Holiday. Like those are two really good pieces. Um, and they and they put a little cast around them. But the Thunder is not a bad value at ten to one. You know, Russ. I, I still think there's some moves to be made in OKC this year, also. Um, and they're they're playing a lot better. Schroeder was a good pickup for them. But this Western Conference is a it's a mess right now. And I think you know people sleep on how easily in the NBA it's not easy. I don't want to say easy, but how much value there is in getting your stuff right early while other teams don't have it right. So let's use the Clippers, for example. Right. Like, they're 13-6. and six. They're atop of the Western Conference. And I don't mean to throw any shade at them because they're good. But they're not that good. And what they've done is they've got it together, and they got the recipe right before anyone else did, and they're stacking up all of these relatively easy early season wins while everyone else is figuring it out. And they might just have enough of a cushion at the end of the day to stay in the uh, the playoffs while other teams like maybe New Orleans or uh, Houston or Utah like they don't get it together in time and they find themselves on the outside looking in at the end of the day. Right. No, you're 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 not throwing shade because Vegas. You know what their odds are to win the West? A huh. hundred to one. Yeah. All those teams we just talked about. Right. Not even close to the conversation. So no shade there at all. All right. The Eastern Conference. Jimmy Butler since joining the Sixers, he's had two game winners. They've been playing better. They're five and two uh, since he came over. He's getting twenty uh, twenty point three points per game. I think what's happened is I think what they wanted him to be in Minnesota yeah. that was just totally rejected from Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, I think the younger group in the in the Philadelphia team, they're actually embracing his leadership style and his passion for the game and his energy that he brings cuz he's going to criticize you, but I think they're and he actually threw a ton of shade at Minnesota earlier in one of the games when he was talking to the reporter after the game. He's like, "These guys will listen. They're not going to cry if I say something about right. it." And I think that's what you're getting. I think he's actually making an impact on this team. Well, 
No, I agree. They seem <laughs> no, I, I don't. Do. No, because you're receptive to that, right? Like early, and while things are going well, yeah. it's easy to receive a Jimmy Butler whose guns ablaze. And I, I'm not saying that they won't always do it, but it becomes harder when you hit that rough patch in the season that every team hits in the NBA season. Mm-hmm. And will his style like be sustainable then? Will it be something that they continue to like put stock in when he's yelling at them? After a three-game losing streak, and you played, you know, three and five five nights, and now you got to be at a shoot around, and Jimmy Butler's yelling in your ear, and all you want to do is go back to sleep. You understand what I'm saying? It's harder then, but right now they bought in, and what I like about it is there doesn't seem to be any hang-up from any of them as to who's going to close games, right? Mm-hmm. And when Miami, the first version of that big three, or the only version of it, but when they first got together, um, there was an issue at the, down the stretch. Was it going to be LeBron's ball? Was it going to be D-Wade's ball? Was it going to be um, what's big, Chris, Chris Bosh? No, to some degree, because <laughs> right. he played that role in Toronto. So you have three guys, and it was almost like, uh, 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 and no one really could really get a rhythm with the role. I think they figured that rollout. Like, Jimmy Butler's going to close for them. Now, Joel Embiid's going to do a lot, a lot of the heavy lifting during the game. Um, so will Ben Simmons. But but Jimmy is the guy that can kind of get it off the bounce. He can get to the rim. Um, and so he's going to close. And I like that they've established that early. The concerning thing for me is while they've taken a step offensively, um, you know, they're fifth in the league in, in offense since he's been there at 113.4, their offensive rating, they've really taken a step back defensively. And that's what he hangs that's his hat on. It is because Jimmy is a defensive guy and the Sixers were a good defensive team last year. So that is surprising. I don't have the answer as to why it, it's kind of manifested itself like that, but it is surprising and it could be concerning if, if they're not just going to purely outscore you every night, you got to play some deep. So the West, we saw all those teams bunched up and the odds drop really quickly, right? So you all of a sudden become all these long shots. Yeah. He's totally different story because you have, Four teams and the odds are very similar. The Raptors right now are the favorite from Vegas to win the East. Right. The four odds. Celtics two to one. Bucks three to one. Seventy six or seven to two. And then the Pacers it drops off dramatically at thirty to one. So clearly the Eastern Conference, one of those top four teams most likely to represent. I don't think I'm saying anything really surprising no. there. But I still think I would lead toward the Raptors because of Kawhi and the presence he's felt on the court. Yep. And they're more complete. They defend, uh, they're deeper. Although, you know, you shorten your bench in the playoffs, but they have a bench that you could play 10 guys in the playoffs because they have really, they have really solid bench players. Um, and there seems to be a fluidity to what they do offensively. When you, you couple that with a really good defense, you've got something cooking. The Celtics are a mess offensively. They still defend, but it's only so long that you'll keep defending when you're a mess offensively. Like defense is one of those things where, you know, you hang your hat on it, but it's gotta be producing. And when I, when I mean producing, it's, it's hard to do, so you gotta be winning. Right? You gotta see the results. Otherwise, you start to get people saying, well, we're a mess offensively, we ain't winning no games, let me just take this playoff on defense. That can be kind of like, uh, that can be, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh um, contagious also, right? Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta factor that there in, 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 in Celtics land. If they don't figure that out soon, that can start to become a mess. And something about the Bucks, like I said, they take another step, and I think they have, uh, Giannis is fantastic, but there's something about them that doesn't make me feel like they can beat Toronto. Like they could beat them in a one game, but over seven, I don't know that they'll beat them. Right. Maybe Toronto will get over that hump. They'll get to the Eastern Conference, be interested to see what they do. The Sixers, so we talked a lot about Markel Fultz, the issues he's going with, going to see doctors. What's he doing? What's going on? As, as the attorney gets involved and says, I want him to see somebody, then he's out of practice. Like all this different stuff is coming out. Now you're hearing that the uh, Sixers could be looking to trade Markel Fultz. Yeah. He's seeing doctors for everything, apparently. Uh, the exams of his right shoulder will extend through Wednesday in New York, and no decision on his steps is expected until later in the week. League sources told ESPN uh, of that one. 
I my question would be, what are you going to get for him? Oh, I don't know. You're never you're never going to get you're never going to get what you gave up. Like right. you, you you essentially, I mean, you gave up what was it a number three and a future first rounder to move up to number one. The crazy part is Boston sat there and got Jason Tatum, who they would have taken at oh. number one anyway. Yep. Um, but that's water under the bridge. It's done now. So I, I don't know if it's about for me. I mean, I'm not in the front office about like recouping. For, for him, like I'd like to get something, but I know I'm never going to get that value back, right? So right. now it becomes like well, the main thing they're trying to do is free up the 10 million bucks that he's on the books for for next season. So that's correct. What they're trying to yeah, out. flush that and flush the headache and the circus that has become like his free throw shooting, his like shoulder oh. or non shoulder in like you know what I mean. Like let that go. I think it is time for the Sixers to start to make plans to move on from Markel Fultz. I think that that chapter is over in Philly. How do you swing and miss this bad? Because, I mean, looking at him, like, when he was in college, didn't see him do a ton, and I was like, who is this guy? Everybody was talking about Ben Simmons, and, like, or, you know, like he was a household name. Markel Fultz kind of flew into the radar. He didn't play that much in the national scene. Like, I just – I can't understand how there could be a guy like Jason Tatum sitting there, and they thought Markel Fultz was better, and you missed this bad. Like, I could see it being a yeah. marginal difference. And maybe it's the injury that's doing it, but it's like, man, is this a bad miss? So when they took when they right. took that pick, right? I was on with Rip Hamilton and Nick Costas, mm-hmm. right? And I said that the first pick in the draft should be Jason Tatum, and they la- they literally laughed me off. The really? Table. We got all oh, video. Got to find it. it back. Right. They laughed me off, and, I, and my argument was, and it's not always the case, but I didn't have enough of a sample size on Markel Fultz, and if you're that good playing out in the pack that wasn't that strong that year, dominate. You should dominate, but he was dominating, but his team. It should it should correlate with team success. Now the, their knock was well Ben Simmons did it, and I was like, well those, they're two different animals. You're comparing apples to oranges in terms of size, stature, like games. Uh, his should have translated into more team success, and I had concerns about that. And you know, to answer your question, how did they miss? I mean, you know, like you're rolling dice, yeah, right. And if you you know you fall in love with the guy and what he looks like, and if you if he's got a great visit and he sells himself in the interview, we talked about Hugh Jackson being able to, yeah. you know, sell. Like you never know what happened, but th- that was a that's a, been a huge miss. Done. Is there any chance he resurged? Because I mean, Jared Goff was written off after his rookie year, and then not like this, not like this, not like I this, mean, he's not not, gonna... not like no. But he could be a, an a okay nice NBA player. player, right? Have a nice. Will, will he be number one pick? No, that's no. that that's a ship of sail. All right, we yesterday we came up with our own segment. You and I did. Yeah. We're going to do it next, and it better be good, or else we're both getting fired. <laughs> That's coming up next on Off the Bench. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Yesterday, we were talking about Phil Rivers. 25 for 25, started the game, sets a record for the NFL, and we had Pete Prisco on, and I yep. had to throw a question to Pete Prisco, which I told him if he got it wrong, he was not allowed back on the show. I said, who is the better quarterback when you consider their whole careers? Is it Dan Marino or is it Phillip Rivers? Right. And he said, Dan Marino, hands down, not even close. He got it right, so he's allowed to come back next Monday. Correct, correct. So we started talking about this idea of the way the game has changed and what players from past eras would succeed in today's game. Sure. So, for example, Matt Coker, our producer, before we were talking about Babe Ruth, and he's like, what do you think Babe Ruth would do? I think that would be a tougher one because not a lot of us watch Babe Ruth play. I think he'd probably have some success. I mean, obviously he was a pretty good athlete, but how would he do facing 100-mile fastballs? Right. You know, uh, you know, 90 mile an hour sliders. I think it'd definitely be a tough transition for him. But I think when you go back to the 80s and 90s, guys that we grew up watching play, I think it's a lot easier to say, all right, how would that guy do today? I think clearly Dan Marino, best pure thrower of the football, like his motion, the efficiency, the velocity, the accuracy, all of it. 
translates perfectly. I think he would throw for 6,000 yards in today's NFL. I don't disagree with you. No, I, th- I think. Cause I, you'd be, yeah. no, you did. <laughs> no, I don't. I think, and, and there are guys in, in, in like the NBA that, you know, played in the eighties and their skill sets just translate. And that doesn't mean every skill set, uh, translates to today's NBA, right? Like that was in vogue during that period, but his ability to throw the ball, um, with the, with the, with the athleticism across the board. See, quarterbacks, I don't believe in Coca's argument was like quarterbacks today are that much more athletic than Dan Marino. I don't believe that. Like I don't. There are some that are well, like, and it's trending. Type of athlete. Yeah, but generally speaking, the athletes around him, and you were yeah. saying this, the ability of uh, their ability to get downfield and get open, the rules with pass interference and protecting quarterbacks, I mean, all of that lends mugged, itself. Yeah, they used to mug the wide receivers coming off the correct. Line. Like it was really hard to throw stuff on time and rhythm because they knew that Marino is Jameis it, Winston. It's the same. Marino's Jameis Winston. Oh, here's so the stat yeah. that he's referencing. So Marino, he's saying Marino's stats are basically equivalent to Jameis Winston. At the time, those were like, oh my gosh, Marino is one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. It is a totally different era that we're dealing with because of those rules. So in 1984, the year that uh, Marino was setting all kind of records mm-hmm. as a young quarterback, the average across the board completion percentage in the NFL was 56%. Right. So he was actually above the league average. This year, the average is 65%. So at the time, 84, 205 passing yards per game. This year, 247. It's not even close across the board. And it's because of the rules. It really is because of the rules. Now, there's no doubt guys are playing the position better now as a whole than they were in 1984. But you have to look at the entirety of the situation where offenses are being called more innovatively. You're seeing different personnel groupings. Like Marino always had two backs in the backfield, a tight end, and Mark Clayton and Mark Duper on the outside. Like that's right. all he had to work with. Picture him in a system where you're spreading guys out, going four wides, five wides almost every time the way Tom Brady does, and he would shred uh, opposing defenses. Yeah. Absolutely shred them. Like you're talking about physical skill sets, but I'll even talk about like the way they wired kids to play positions back then, right? Like yes. it wasn't a wide open – like you had gunslingers, but it was probably never a celebrated gunslinging thing because you ran the heck out of the ball. I'll use like – um Let's say John Stockton, or we even had Steve Nash on the show once and we yeah. talked to him about playing the point guard position. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'll use John Stockton because he played in the day of just grimy, gritty hand checking. Like they beat the hell out of you. Imagine if he had the freedom and the space that like a Steph Curry has because he could shoot the ball too. Now I'm not saying that they're the same, right? But his mentality back then, um, and the rules, his mentality was pass first. So he wasn't looking to score, but he could score, like could shoot the heck out of the ball, but he was wired to be a pass first guy. The kids now are wired to be scored first. So they're naturally going to be able to score a lot more not to mention the rules which now allow freedom like you can't hand check a guy if he's facing the basket and back then you were literally allowed to take a forearm grab a guy by the hip and steer him wherever you wanted him to go so you're talking about a mentality a skill set and a league that's set up for guys today to have better numbers than point guards did back then what do you think so i think it's pretty i think most people would agree some people that aren't very smart would say marino wouldn't succeed in today's game i think that's i think you're not very bright if you say that right so if that's coca right. if that's you because he said Good for he's you. yelling at me saying he's Jameis winston he's clearly not Jameis winston i think it's easier to see the guys translate in the football like i think steve young would translate i think sure. he'd translate even more because he was a little more dual threat he can run around make some plays i think wide receivers it's pretty easy to see the translate yeah. jerry rice was great then i think he'd what about some of the great running backs um, I think like a Walter Payton, yeah, I think yeah. he'd be good. I think their their numbers would diminish, sure, because they wouldn't get as much opportunity. Right, like the same thing. I think conversely, it works. The NBA, I think, is a little bit harder, right? Because I think the NBA as a whole 
is way more athletic now sure. than it ever has been. Sure. And you're seeing guys that are just freakishly athletic. Like they're asking, like Kevin Durant's seven feet tall and he's playing from, you know, shooting threes. Yep. Like that was not asked of guys, but I also think his athleticism is off the charts. Like if you picture, sure. you know, take a seven footer from the eighties, their one thing is be under the basket, be a rim protector and get boards and, you know, post up and play in the, in the. Correct. Game. Not everyone will translate to today's game. Do you think and- so? Do you think Charles Barkley would? Because I think he's a, an interesting one because his game definitely fit a bang him up like yeah. physical game of the eighties and nineties. Would would he translate today? Well, see, look, the game's evolved, surely, but Charles evolved as a player too. He came way more of a three point shooter when he went to Phoenix. Um, he wasn't all bang him up early in his career. He was a bang him up bruiser like uh, the "We Are the Warrior" song on the NBA. Yeah, Remember that? I tape? love that. I had um, that thing on loop. So, but so in today's NBA. Like, while you say he couldn't fit, he, who's gonna guard him? Right. No, seriously. Right. Who's gonna guard him? Like, back then, he had to do that against, like, a seven foot, like, 260 guy, a 6'10, 240 guy, and then your three man was, like, 6'8, 225, defensive minded. Like, so, Charles was navigating through all of that, and so while you would tell me, like, Maybe he doesn't fit today's game. I would ask you who in today's game is going to guard him. That That's also the the conversation I like having because I think does Steph Curry do what he's doing today, lighting up the league in the 90s if he's playing that one? Because that's the bigger the bigger beef for the guys in the 90s saying, oh, there's no way Steph would do that because we'd have hand check and we'd be up in his face. We'd get physical with him. There's no way he's going to be the type of player he is then. I think shooting translates, and I think he would find a way to get open he, shots Yeah, up. but he wouldn't have the numbers because you weren't playing with the same pace, mm-hmm. right? Offenses were a lot like more – Get it, get us down, get us into a half court set, run that offense, kick it to the wing. Like it wasn't what you're doing now where he's just coming down, pulling people didn't play like that. So it's a kind of a hard, uh, it's kind of hard to say, but I do think that they have a point in that their ability to put their paws on Steph Curry would severely affect what he's able to do. Would he have success? Would he be a really good player? Could he still shoot the peel off the ball? All of that is yes. But their ability to come up and steer a slight frame Steph Curry wherever they wanted him to go would have a huge effect on Steph Curry's ability to do what he wants to do. Charles Barkley shot three three-pointers a game in the 93 uh, Suns team when they yeah. made the finals. He shot 30% from the field that year, so clearly. And he led the league in two-point percentage for five years with the Sixers. You mentioned that song, yeah. I Am a Warrior. That was his video. Do you remember who Larry Bird's song was in that highlight yeah. video? Yeah, I was born in a small oh, town. town. All right, so that was his. <laughs> Do you remember who had the Whitney Houston song? Because there was a Whitney Houston song that was a highlight tape for somebody. Dominique Wilkins. It was Dominique. Dominique? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't sing any more than that. And then they had the Top Gun for MJ. Yes. That's what it was. I couldn't remember MJ's song, but I watched that all the time. All right. We'll have to get it over to Hannah because she might be able to sing all these songs a little bit better than us. What if I just broke out into like beautiful Whitney Houston music right now? <laughs> that would be awesome. I thought about it, but I was like, I don't even know what song you tried to sing. I can't do it. <laughs> All right, guys, moving on. So everybody was talking about Baker Mayfield yesterday because he made it clear that he was not pleased with Hugh Jackson joining the Bengals staff on Sunday when he refused that hug. But later in the day yesterday, he continued to show some frustration. The topic of Baker and Hugh came up on ESPN's first take, and Damian Woody told Baker to grow up. Excuse me. He also compared his move from Texas Tech to Oklahoma to Hugh Jackson's move. Well, this led to Mayfield blasting Woody and Jackson on Instagram in first takes comment section. He said, quote, not even comparable. I didn't lose 30 plus games to be fake and then do that. I wasn't going to have a scholarship. Good try, though, buddy. So, Danny and Raja, I got to ask, which side are you taking in this one? 
we were on Baker's side yesterday as far as like, I, I don't think it was the professional way to do it, but they're totally different situations because most co- coaches get fired all the time. Right. They usually wait. They usually go away for about six months. Then they get another job. It's only been about a month since he's been away and he's on this other sideline chumming it up. I don't, I don't have a problem with the message or the belief that he doesn't like Hugh Jackson and he thinks he's fake. I don't like him going public with it. Yeah, look, if you didn't like Hugh Jackson because of what happened in your locker room and your interaction with Hugh Jackson, that's fine. Um, where I thought it became punk-ish and where I sided with, 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 uh, whoever called him out was that, like, you can't begrudge a dude for, like, taking another job. It does, like, if you get fired and one person says, I don't like, you know, it's like, if you have a wife and she says she don't want you no more, she's leaving you, I'm out, and then you find a girlfriend and she's like all bent out of, what do you, you told me you didn't want me, like, don't have a problem with Hugh Jackson finding a new home once you've been kicked out of that home and i had a problem with baker um expressing it like that like i, I just did like now I, I got no beef if you don't like hugh jackson and hugh jackson doesn't like you and you guys didn't have a good yeah, relationship I think that's fine. the bigger story yeah. i think that's the bigger story him calling out as fake there was a lot of rumors about that him actually saying that i think is a big deal because players get cut all the time and end up on another team later yeah. on another team and i don't think you'd ever see a player mad at a guy for taking that job so i think that's where he's a little bit misguided well, staying with these Instagram comments. So we know that Le'Veon Bell isn't heading to the field any anytime soon. So in the meantime, he's staying active on the gram. Yesterday, he stumbled upon this post by the NFL account about Colts quarterback Andrew Luck, who's having a huge comeback season. The caption read, Andrew Luck is playing out of his mind right now. And then deep in that comment section, what do you know? It's Le'Veon Bell saying, quote, just imagine. And then a bunch of eye emojis. So, Danny and Raja, first of all, we know that Le'Veon knows exactly how to get to all of us with his social media antics. This is not the first time that he's done this. So should we even be talking about this? But second of all, is this something you guys would want to see? (laughs) I think it's a brilliant move from Le'Veon to go out there and tease this because I think he probably realizes the importance of playing with a really good quarterback is, and he wants to go play with a really good quarterback. Uh, Andrew Luck has having an incredible year. If you are going to be a running back and you want to tote the ball that many times, if you don't have a good a, run, a good quarterback, you're going to see a lot of eight-man boxes. Teams are going to go up. They're going to sell out on you. Yeah. You don't want to have to face that. So I think it's a brilliant move for him trying to plant that out there. No doubt. As a pass catching back, too, like really good move to have a really good quarterback. And, um, yeah, here's my question, though. Like, it, like reverse tampering? I know. There's got to be like, something with just that out there. there. Just, yeah. just planned all these ideas yeah, out there. Hey, I'd great. come play for you. I love it, though. Like, you know cool. what's all great, and he loves it right there? It's all going to be about the money. Yeah, if they true. offer him a big enough contract yeah. and he gets the Todd Gurley money, he'll go to Indianapolis. If it's the Jets, he'll go to the Jets. All this, like I'm saying, yeah, it'd be great to go with a good quarterback. He'd go with Blake Bortles if they Show were going to Show me exactly. the money. <laughs> Rod Tidwell, right? Was that his name? Yes. Rod Tidwell. Yes. <laughs> All right, lastly, I know how much you guys love talking hockey, so I had to bring this story in. Before the puck drop between the Maple Leafs and the Bruins on Monday night, Paul Zernet, who's a big Leafs fan, and his wife Leah, who's a Bruins fan, raised the stakes with a lifelong bet. Check this out. They had a sign at the game that said, Tonight's winner dictates the team our newborn son will be brainwashed to cheer for as he grows up. (laughs) Unfortunately for Mama Leah, Toronto took this one four to two. Guys, this is way too risky, right? I would never do this. That is like lifelong there too. Like that's a huge risk. But I wonder, knowing the way my kids work, yeah, like whatever I tell them to do, they want to they do, do the opposite. Yeah. yeah. So maybe <laughs> if you try to tell them to root for Toronto, he's be like, I don't know, I want the Boston. Team. Does your family have a, a strong like? I know Hannah's family is Bills. Does your family have like a strong? <laughs> no, seriously, because mine doesn't. Like I don't really like. No? I no, I didn't have it either. Like I didn't. We didn't have like a college team. My dad went to Pitt, so we kind of rooted for them. Right. It was like nothing big. And then we grew up in Miami, so kind of the Dolphins. My dad worked, but we're just not like diehards. 
it's like we don't we didn't have that in our family either. Like my yeah. kids like the hurricanes now. And there's a little like FIU. I take them to some basketball games and stuff. But we now have we no... root for Florida State. Like we'll root for Florida State, but yeah. like mildly. It's funny because we'll sit down and we'll watch. Like usually I'm watching the Red Zone Channel, right? Watching all these different games, and my daughters will sit down like, "Who are we rooting for?" And then they just start rooting <laughs> from that point on. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's the team that's winning the game. They're yeah. Like, all right, let's root for them. Yeah. My wife's family. My wife's family is actually they were like Yankees, Knicks. Um, and the Giants. Like, but that was the way it was. Like, that was right. life for them. You know, I just right. never experienced that. Me neither. Well, aren't you guys so lucky? <laughs> <laughs> that's my house. All right, that's all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja break down today's leftovers, including what's at stake for Duke and Indiana tonight. Come on back to Off the Bench. All right, over the Thanksgiving weekend, I was sitting around watching some TV, and I watched Duke. And I was like, oh, I'm going to turn it on and watch yep. this Duke team. They were out in down. Hawaii? Yeah, out in yeah. Hawaii. They actually got beat by Gonzaga. It was a impressive win for Gonzaga. But this Duke team, which has been talked about so much, we've talked about it. Yeah. I think we overhyped them because yeah. there was a lot of talk about, hey, they could go undefeated. This team, no one's going to be able to handle them. And you saw the Zags go out and take it to them. No, I never believed that. Um, I didn't either. We didn't, we didn't overhype them because those three kids are maybe – three of the top five picks in the draft potentially next year. So there wasn't an overhype. But as a team, if people were talking about them maybe going undefeated, then then yes, you overhype them. There are a lot of teams, not a lot, but there are a handful of teams in college basketball with well-rounded veteran squads. And when you have that, teams that have been together, they're more mature because they're a couple years older, um, and they know the ins and outs of what they want to do offensively and defensively, and they can stick to that game plan. They're they're going to have a chance to beat Duke, and then it becomes whether like a Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish just has a first pick in the NBA draft type of night where he scores forty and you can't do anything about it. But there'll be teams that are going to be in ball games with them just because they're older um, and and more mature than Duke is. So our buddy Matt Norlander works here at CBS Sports HQ, our college basketball guy. He told us in the preseason this is the best Gonzaga team ever. Yeah, they've ever had. He also told us Kentucky. Correct. Duke, Correct. Well, One for two. Right, one we'll two. give him that. 50 50's not bad. Yeah. Uh, Gonzaga takes over the number one spot in the rankings in the AP poll. Uh, Duke drops all the way to three. So with one Who's loss, two? Uh, Kansas. Okay. Kansas still undefeated at five and oh. Duke drops down. Uh, D- uh, Duke plays Indiana tonight. Uh, they're a 15 and a half point favorite. Who are you, who are you rolling with? Yeah, I think I'll take. The cover? I think they could cover. I think they might be upset about the way things played out against the Zags. And I think they might go out there and like have a statement. You know, you talk about wanting to see like quarterbacks sometimes, how they react after they have a bad game. It'll be interesting tonight. I, I think they could cover because I don't, I don't know that Indiana has a super, uh, veteran laden squad either. Like their, their best player, Romeo Langford was another top recruit last year, apparently. Um, so that speaks to Duke having some success, but I do want to see how those guys respond. Like whether, you know, you got three remarkable talents, whether one of them starts to like splinter off from the group and say, okay, right. here I go, or, right. or whether they still do it by committee, like if they're still invested, it'll be interesting. Yep, for sure. All right. So we got that on the college basketball side. Tonight we have the new college football playoff poll yeah. released tonight. Uh, the last one before the final one, which is on Sunday. Uh, I don't think you're going to see any huge surprise. Obviously you're going to have Michigan drop out. My top four, I think, will be the exact same four. It's going to be Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia. And I think it'll mirror all the way down to seven. I don't think Washington will be eight, although I think they should. Uh, But I don't think the committee will have them there. But I think this is what you'll see. I think this is exactly the order it'll get. But you know what's been bothering me? And I guarantee you're going to hear this conversation tonight on the show. Should Bama, if they lose to Georgia, 
still be a top four team for the playoff. I think it's absurd. I think it's ridiculous. If they lose to Georgia, maybe they're not as good as we think they are. Correct. Maybe they're not as dominant. Just like we thought Michigan was this great team and they had this unbelievable defense, number one in the country, ranked statistically, they got smoked for Ohio State. So we're all like, all right, Michigan, we're done with them. Like they're not as good as Why we thought they were. Why wouldn't you do the same with Ben? Why wouldn't we do the same thing? It's a good point. Now? I'm all over the place with this one because some days you get me and I'm like, <laughs> no, but no, I'm with you on that. Look, if you lose, there's got to be a penalty. Um, for the loss this late in the season and not winning your conference championship, right? And if you have a bunch of teams that are deserving and knocking on the door to get in, you know, if you had a bunch of teams that weren't really worthy and we were, it was like a toss up, then I'd say, yeah, maybe throw Bama back in, but you have worthy teams sitting there trying to get in. That's where it gets tough for me personally, because I think you should have to win a conference championship. But if Oklahoma and Ohio State both lost, and, and Alabama lost. Yeah. Then I'd probably say I put Bam in. Right. Bam in that four spot. Right. So I think obviously it has to depend on how it all plays out in the end. But I hate the fact that we're getting out in front of it, like setting up this cushion for Bama so that if they lose, we're like, up, oh, it's automatic. And I do think the committee pays attention to what all of us say. And they're probably thinking the same thing, which I think is the wrong way to approach it. Um, how close is it a race between Oklahoma and Ohio State? Like, razor thin. That's the term they like to use. Razor, razor. thin. Yep.